This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the MK1 podcast, your audio hub for everything Milton Keynes dons. I'm one of your three co-hosts, Liam Connolly, and I'll join me on the call this evening. We've got Ross Tuffy, your second co-host. So Ross, how you doing? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Thanks, mate. What about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Just about coping this heat. It's a bit hot, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, looking forward to the England game later. Big guns by tomorrow. Watch. Yeah, well, bloody hell, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> looking forward to the England game later on. Um, we're sort of playing a strong team against, so that'll be decent to watch. Um, but before we do that, we've got a lot of Don's stuff to talk about. And to join us to do that is Joe Free. So Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I think I'm looking forward to this evening's pub quiz more than the England game. But um, <sighs> yeah, plenty, <laughs> plenty to get stuck into. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, been nice to actually have a bit of sun for a change rather than it just being a bit grey uh, like it has, seems like it has been for the last three months or so Yeah, it was uh, it's beautiful and Cheltenham was Saturday, wasn't it? And uh, we'll, fo- we'll focus on the game on weather, I suppose but um, yeah, it's been a really nice sort of start to the week, I suppose, and uh, unfortunately it might get a bit rainy towards the end but um, hopefully it's not raining on Saturday against Pompey, which we'll talk about later also um, but Let's get stuck into the Cheltenham game, uh, of course 1-1 draw um, Interesting game, really. I suppose it started by seeing the team sheet, but before we get on to that, we'll just give our general thoughts on it all. Joe, yourself and Ross drove to Kettering. I took the really awkward train journey from London, which, uh, whilst it was direct, it was still awkward as hell. Um, but yeah, how did you find Cheltenham in general? Yeah, um, a very nice town, I must say, as, as well. Um, I think um, it was a weird game. First 25 minutes, we were not at it at all. We were... I don't know what it was, just sloppy, couldn't string a few passes together. And um, they scored what I thought was a soft goal at the time. And looking back, I'd still say it was a soft goal. And then from about 30 minutes, there was only one team looking to win it. And it wasn't just, you know, I know that the possession stat was uh, probably the most impressive thing about our performance, but the amount of chances in the first half alone, I can think of 
Charlie Brown and his two golden opportunities, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, Harry Darling with a free header from a corner. Uh, Daniel Harvey cut in from out wide, had a good shot saved. And then second half, it was... Well, I actually think that when Charlie Brown came off, we were struggling to actually create chances. We just had the ball for having the ball sake as such. Um, but then I think that we were having so much room out wide, it was just that, that final ball just wasn't quite good enough. It was almost uh, a deja vu from last season. And then uh, that man, Hiram, pops up again uh, to, uh, you know, it is the least. For, for the opposition manager to say a draw was probably a fair result when they conceded in the 87th minute. I think that tells you he knows they were under, the, under pressure. And I know it's quite a lazy, sweeping comment to make, but if Moisa, Troy Parrott or Max Waters are playing in that game, we win that comfortably, which is, I guess it's a weird one because I can't really moan too much because at the end of the day, it's not Liam Manning's fault he was without those strikers. However, you know, it's annoying because I think we should and easily could have won, but it's just maybe the circumstances just weren't aligning. But yeah, frustrating that we didn't win, uh, but still there, there's a lot of stuff I'm seeing, which is... Uh, which is encouraging. Yeah, I think um, speaking to loads of people after the game and yeah, I think the overall, overall thing was frustration because I said the amount of chances we had to win that game was ridiculous and I don't think Cheltenham were all that good. I know, I know a, lot, a lot of people who cover the league extensively uh, from a wider perspective say that you know, Cheltenham are a really good team but if that's the case, they didn't really show it for me on Saturday. A few good moments, but they good moments when we were pretty poor. So we made them look good, in my opinion. And of course, the guy that scores their goal, uh, Kyle Joseph, was loaned from Swan City uh, as Russ Martin loaned him to Billy Cheltenham to score against us. So it's typical how it all works. And it's quite funny how it all works, football. But yeah, that's that was pretty much that. But luckily, as you said, Haram was there to save the day once again. Um, so yeah, Ross, how did you find it overall? I think I'm similar to you two in terms of the result I felt before the game. Um, I felt I was confident in, in our squad um, when the lineup got announced. And I think that's probably what co- uh, cost us the game at the end of the day. Um, yes, we can look back at the, their goal. Um, I personally feel like it, it was a midfield. They should be closing down their man a lot quicker. They shouldn't be allowing them to get through the channels as easy as they did. Um, and then obviously Cole Joseph put it in the bottom corner. And then obviously we're chasing a, a game yet again. It's been similar to what the Charlton game, goal behind, and we tried to get a result off that. Ipswich, there's plenty of games this season where we went behind and, we sh- and we've said, oh, we should have got a point or we should have got three points. And I'll, I'll, I put this question out to Joe at the weekend. And when do we finally say, oh, well, look, when can we say that needs to stop because of, yeah, it's all well, um, good and saying, oh, it's the start of the season. Everyone's still getting in the groove. But if we want to be up there, we've got to be competing for the all the season. And no, uh, no disrespect to Cheltenham, they're not going to be up there. And personally, I feel we should be beating this side quite comfortably. And obviously, yeah, fair enough. We didn't have certain players, but that's excuses to me. I've, People who are on the bench, they should come in and uh, do the do the job for them. And I think that's where squad depth comes in and plays a part in the result. Um, but yeah, as you say, Liam, Boateng came off the bench yet again. 
he's really making me look like a mug at recently saying he's he's not great but yeah he's a different player um recently and yeah going into them final 10 minutes I would have took a point so yeah I'm happy with the point but slightly disappointed that it weren't through yeah it did feel like as the game went on you know are we actually going to get this goal because we had, we had so many chances and it was just like it wasn't going to be our day um but yeah we got we got saved once again by Haram um you mentioned about being confident when seeing the team and I suppose that was the biggest surprise of the day obviously we knew we had all the strikers out you know Iris was out injured Parrot was with the Irish team and Waters is, is back from injury but he's not fit enough yet uh, so he can get on the bench just yet so we knew we were going to the game where we're either playing well we saw we we're playing on striker up front and I think a lot of us were expecting Jay Bird to play um, and I think I don't know if it's fair to say that he should have played, but I don't think he should have got some minutes, definitely. I think to not even bring him on, it felt a bit a bit harsh. Um, but I suppose, I mean, what did we think to the start line when we first saw it, Joe? I mean, obviously, Ross said he was fairly confident. Were you as confident as him? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of happy to see McEachran back. But, I, I mean, I, I was thinking about and I just think... We went. We changed to a box after what we were doing was working so well for us, and it almost looked like in the first 20, 25 minutes maybe that we were just struggling to get to grips with it. And I think one thing as well, which for me was the main thing, is Matt O'Reilly's been our best player this season, and he's been our best player this season from getting the ball from the defenders and progressing it forward. And when he's playing you know further up the pitch he's unable to influence the game as much and if I've you know my best player you, you think of you know just some of the some of the best players they'll they'll go to the defense they'll demand the ball and they'll you know progress you up the pitch and I think at times it just felt like we just couldn't string enough passes together in the first half we were struggling to get out and then you know we might have might have been reduced to sort of lumping it forward at times in the first half but I think, you know, that that for me was one of the things. Um, and I think, I mean, McEachran, he's not 100%. Charlie Brown, you know, are, are we gonna, we're going to come on to him, but I didn't mind him starting at all. I think he showed against Burton what how lively he was. And, you know, I don't think it was the wrong decision in the end. Um, yeah, so I don't think there was too many questions. It was more just the where, where Matt O'Reilly was for me, to be honest. Yeah, because on paper, the, the box should have gave us more control in the midfield. That's what it has done all of that season. And you just think, you know, status quo remain the same, it would do the same here. But the way we started, Ross, those first 25 minutes, of course, we conceded. It, yeah, it's like we're a bit lost at sea, just trying to find our way in the game. And a lot of players, both Matt Riley being a prime example, that just seemed a bit, you know, not sure what to do. And, and certain players are getting a bit frustrated, as you clearly see on the pitch. And it took us a while to get into the game, basically. I, yeah, I agree in in a way, but I do feel that like that was on Cheltenham quite a bit, putting us, putting us under pressure. And I think I saw their goal come in early because of in that first 20 minutes, um, especially Alfie May, he was really pressing um, the pivot role. Um, Matt O'Reilly especially, um, really pressing him. And um, Carl, Carl Joseph, fair play to him. He was putting put Warren O'Hara and Darley under some real pressure. Um, and they were forcing them to go along. So, yeah, I agree. 
um, we weren't stringing enough passes together in that probably that first 25 minutes. But I think in these sort of games, you, you, you've, got, you've got to weather out that storm. And obviously we didn't weather out that storm. And at the end of the day, if let's just say Brown did put one of them chances in the back of the net, it would have been a whole different game and we would have had a lot more space. And especially at the end, end, end of that first half, we probably would have scored again, maybe. So um, I think overall, I'm not too concerned about it because of the recent performances, especially in the first half. Um, we're normally a second half team. I don't like to say it, but um, we do play a lot better in the second half. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly too concerned, but yeah, it's, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, so this one goes to both of you, I suppose. So let's say we play Pompey on Saturday and we go with the one-strike formation again. Uh, and regardless of personnel, um, would you still be comfortable going in that formation and would you want to see a return of two strikers up top? I want to see the two strikers. I think it it gives us it's a couple of different things. I think, one, it makes it harder for them to play out from the back because you've got two players uh, leading the press. I think... Um, if you are, if the opposition's pressing you, you've got actually got pe- people higher up the pitch where you can actually make the ball stick. I think when he put Hiram Boateng and Josh Martin, you know, up, 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 up that side of the pitch, you know, there was no, you know, the, I saw some of the defenders playing long balls up to Josh Martin. And I was, you know, I think we were all just had our heads in our hands at, at, at that point. And, but whereas if you've got two strikers, you've got, you know, one of them can play off the other. You know, you, you might have, like we've seen so often with Troy and Mo, Moisa, you know, if, if Louis stuck in a corner, he's got the option to play a channel ball and he's got someone that's able to chase it down and the ball will actually stick rather than just a hopeless punt upfield. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I personally like, like the two-striker formation. I think it suits the personnel. Yeah, I mean, Ross, are you in agreement with that? Are you, are you in favour of a two-strike formation or would you want to see the one uh, at Pompey? Uh, I think it all depends on the opposition you face. Um, Cheltenham, they were happy to sit in that box and we saw that in the second half. They, they weren't moving like for nothing, really. But when you play against the likes of Pompey, a team who, who are up there, their fans are not going to take for them to sit in that box, in that deep block, sorry, um, for 70 minutes. They're going to have to come out and play so, um, yeah, I think, obviously, um, it just depends what type of opposition you play. I'd personally, this weekend, go with two up top um, because, obviously, it causes more problems. But when you're playing one up top, one up top, it allows you to create more space out on the wing backs. So, it, yeah, as I say, it just all depends uh, what the situation is, really. Yeah, I think I think two strikes is the way forward here. Um you know, the Pompey are quite a high-pressing team who, well, yeah, they've got one of the highest PPDAs in the whole league. Um, so it's important for us to counter-press. And I feel with having Troy Parrott back this weekend, it's, it's kind of ideal, really, because he can do that job for us on the whole. What's also create chances for the likes of Brown, uh, Twine, um, O'Reilly, and hopefully a deeper role this week. Um, and, yeah, I think it'll make the whole team a bit more cohesive and play better. And I think they're going to need to against a team like Pompey who are very good defensively and I think if they can get clicking up top they'll be well up there this season um okay we'll, we'll speak about Charlie Brown obviously he's been it's been a sort of reoccurring theme this whole episode um obviously he had the one big chance missed 
uh, which is the second of the two chances in the first half, really, with the first one being he just completely missed the ball when it was played across to him, which is a shame because, as I think, as they both mentioned, you know, if you put one of those away, the game's in our control at the very least, and we probably go on to win that game fairly comfortably. Um, obviously, he's, he's still a kid at the end of the day. He's a very young player. This is his first full season, probably playing regular minutes compared to last season where he was very much a cut player. Obviously, we had, we had some, it wasn't harsh words, but I think on the way back, we were sort of saying, you know, it's a shame that maybe we should, we should have thought Jay Bird should have played. Um, on reflection, I, I think you guys alluded to, you'd probably change your mind on that a little bit. So is that still the case? Um, I think, go well, on, you go first. Right, cheers. Um, I think it's, it's a hard one because of after the game, we can say what we want about Charlie yeah, Brown's miss to two sitters. But the form he was in at the back end of last season, I would have happily said if our strikers were out, he was the perfect person to replace him. But uh, yeah, I felt sorry for it. I, I really do feel sorry for for him and Jay Bird in a sense because of obviously Charlie Brown. He hasn't had the minutes this season. Yes, fair fair enough. He had the Burton game and he he did look sharp. Um, and then you have them games in football where things don't click and things don't go your way. And yeah. It it was. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to try and paper over it. It was a shock of a miss. That especially that second one, um, and he'll know that for sure. And then just going on Jay Bird, yeah. I, it's a weird one with Jay because obviously he's scoring the goals. He he just doesn't get the chance. And I I felt personally, Joe alluded to just a minute ago that we're going long. Jay Bird suits that sort of running behind, and he likes to make things stick and bring others into play. And I feel like that's what Troy Parrott does. That's why we've had so much success this season. He's making things stick, bringing others into play. And that's exactly what Bird can do um, if he's given the chance. And I just felt on Saturday, I'm not I'm not going to take it away from Charlie Brown and say, oh, he, he, he should, he's behind in Brown, uh, Bird, sorry, in the um, lineup. Because of at the end of the day, it's just one of those games. But I just feel... These these two are such young lads and they're going to need time. And I know it's a bit of a cliche to say, but overall, it's just about match match sharpness, match fitness, and it all it all comes together if they get consistent run of games. But saying that, we've got two players who are about to come into the lineup this weekend, and Isa and Parrot. Well, not Isa. Sorry. Hopefully, Isa. Hopefully, I, hopefully, yeah. Um, Parrot especially who are going to take their chances. So. It's a missed opportunity for them, for sure. Um, and you question when their next chance is going to be. Yeah, the difficult thing for me to accept with the whole situation. Yeah, because I'm really during the game. I was like, okay, let's just get Brown off. He's he's no, he's not. It's not his day. Um, and I've, I've reflected on that a bit since and gone back on it because I don't think he was the issue. I think it was the formation. Because Liam Manning was given the blueprint, I think, how to play Brown and Bird together, like he was against Burton. Uh, I don't feel I didn't understand the formation change in some senses. I understood that he felt that Shelton would sit back, and the data would suggest that. So playing with the box would make sense. But yeah, as you mentioned, Ross, they're two young lads, and if they're showing good chemistry, I know it's Burton against in the Papa Johns, but if they're showing good chemistry on the pitch, surely you just play them both in the same formation again and see how it does against Cheltenham. Um, obviously he didn't and we got a point but um, yeah go on Joe carry on 
Yeah, I think, you know, because Ross was saying about how how many times does this happen? And then we say that it, how many times do we just sort of not brush it under the carpet, but sort of just go along with it and say, well, these good performances will be results eventually. And I think, you know, the way I think of it is if regardless of if it's Charlie Brown or Daniel Harvey, if those chances which we had on Saturday, how often would those magnitude of chances result in one goal? You know, normally you'd be getting two or three goals from those chances. And I think we had an XG of uh, 1.8 or 2 or something like that. And Cheltenham's was like 0. not even one or something. So, and, and you know, it was a 25-yard P-roller almost that, 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 that done us. So I think there is an element of luck and randomness to these things. And I, but I just think, you know, if we're consistently creating better quality chances than the opposition, you know, more often than not, we're going to, in the long run, we're going to be the ones that come out on top. So I think, yeah, I don't. I think it's just one of them. And I think in terms of Charlie Brown, I think, you know, he did his, not he did his job, but we, we looked so much more of a threat when he was on the pitch because he was making strikers runs. He was creating space and he got himself into space for two amazing chances. He just couldn't finish them off. He'd done all the hard work. You see, you know, it's easy to talk about a striker and almost slag him off for missing the chance, of which it was a very good chance. But we probably don't see the five seconds before where he's lost his, he's, he's darted one way or the other, he's lost his man. And when when it was Josh Martin and, or Hiram, <clears throat> excuse me, up top, we just did not see those runs. We saw almost just a line of people just stood there waiting for the ball. And we had that period from maybe... And I think it was about 60 to 80 minutes or so where nothing really happened because Cheltenham were quite happy to sit there and there was no one running in behind or anything. So I think actually Charlie Brown did do his job. He just didn't finish the job as such. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting in the two strike formation Saturday, hopefully, because um, I think we'll see the real Charlie Brown then in terms of what he can do finishing wise and I think his responsibilities will be less uh I suppose duty heavy because he'll have power to help him. Um so yeah it'll be an interesting watch and another interesting thing to talk about next episode. Um two players you really did impress at the weekend uh were the two wing backs in Kyoso and Harvey. Um of course Kyoso was the main talking point because it was his debut back at MK Don's from his loan from losing town and I think especially defensively he was absolutely terrific on Saturday I think he I think he won all his ground drills five for five obviously had the clearance off the line um really kept the team together really well and I think ultimately I was just wrong on him I think attacking wise it was the wrong game for him to really show that so I'm really looking forward to seeing that against Pompey where I think he may have to show a bit more that side of him but I think ultimately Kyoto just showed us the the player that we knew he probably was and the data showed that he was a really good defensive player who is going to be really solid for us. And uh, I think it was certainly an impressive debut, wasn't it, Ross? Yeah, certainly. And it's very good competition for Tanai Watson, for sure. Um, I know I didn't know much about the lad on, um, before the game and I think he had pretty much the perfect debut. And if we didn't concede that goal, it would have been a man of the match performance because um, of... Yeah, he was everywhere down that right hand side, and yeah, Liam, you say he he wasn't he wasn't got, got uh, in the in the attack 
perfect, but I feel Harvey are generating enough down the left-hand side. And just going on to Harvey, I, I know um, you're going to mention it in a minute, Liam. I just, fe- I just felt ha- that was probably one of Harvey's best games he's had for us. Um, obviously, he had a stuttered run last year with international break, injuries and all this. And now we're really starting to see the real Dan- Danny Harvey and the reason why we actually bought him. Um, so we've got two strong fullbacks in the formation who, who at the moment are undroppable. Yeah, it, it felt at times, maybe it wasn't the case, but it felt at times that Kyoso was sacrificing his attacking outlet to let Dan Harvey do his thing. So you clearly see that Dan Harvey was, you know, getting the right areas, making the right runs. And, you know, say if we had a different striker at front, putting the right balls in the box. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It was certainly a really impressive performance for Dan Harvey. He certainly looks really up for it. I think he could, he's one of those players, I think he just, he knew that the team were, were struggling towards the start and he just battled through it and um, really showed his character in that performance. Um, Joe, when we changed formation, kind of, with the likes of um, Martin and Boateng coming on, did you notice any particular changes between the two wing-backs? I suppose more Kyoso because he was a new addition, but either of, either of them, really. Um, yeah, I think um, with Kyoso, we sort of got almost what we expected in that he's all action, he's really really strong defensively especially and I think it's quite appropriate that Kyoso was the one that cleared the ball off the line saving a goal literally and Daniel Harvey was the one that put the ball in the box that eventually trickled through to um, to Mr Boateng so I think that you know that just basically just showed both of what they're capable um, of at both ends of the pitch um, I'm really glad Harvey's getting a run of games now because I think he's we saw. I, I was banging on last season again and again and again, saying how I thought he should be started ahead of Sorinola a lot of the time. And I'm glad that he's he's not proved me right yet, but I'm, I'm glad he's he's putting in some real great performances. He's putting up some great numbers in terms of the amount of chances he's creating for for, for the strikers. And you know he's put a she- puts a chef shift in defensively as well. And um, and then Kyoso just. You know, I wouldn't say he was amazing going forward, but he was powerful. He was athletic and he got in behind, which is something, you know, I mean, Laird, we had it with Laird, but we only had it for, a, you know, 20 games with Laird. We didn't have it for a full season. So that was nice to see. Um, in terms of when Hiram and Josh came on, yeah, I mean, I think there was space out wide because I think we just, you know, I think if you look at the touch maps of Daniel Harvey and um, Peter Chioso, they're literally almost on the touchline. So I think that was an obvious uh, a thing that Manning must have said to them: just just stay wide, just make stretch the play. And I think, <laughs> excuse me, I think yeah, Hiram he, he kind of floated out wide a bit. And when Josh Martin actually did make, have some of his better touches of the game, I think he grew into it. Was when Josh Martin actually drifted out towards the left hand side, he actually picked up the ball and played. He played a couple of really nice one twos. Um, but if anything, I think that just almost shows that Josh Martin isn't a striker. The fact that to get the ball, he was drifting out wide and then making an impact. And so many times I was so I was almost, uh, you know, I was, I was shouting, there's no one in the box. So we'd work it to an amazing position for Harvey or Kyoso, and there was just no one in the box, which is where it comes, where I come back to about how I say how, you know, Chris, uh, Charlie Brown, I don't think he did that bad of a job because he it was a presence and he was there to get on the end of things. 
So there was that period in the second half where we weren't actually committing the men in the middle, which I think almost held back the wing backs in what they could actually do, if that makes sense. Yeah, that no, makes a lot of sense. And um, as I mentioned earlier, it's interesting to see if we do indeed go over to try formation next week, how that impacts some of the new additions and of course Charlie Brown, because I think I think he he deserves a better performance next week. And I think he should be saying that to himself throughout all training this week as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And how can we forget about Hiram Boateng, the absolute saviour of the past couple of games? As he tweeted out earlier in the week, uh, technically it's 64 minutes played, he rounded up in League One, two goals, one assist. Uh, earned us plenty of points this season. Um, Joe, he's been, well, compared to what he was at the start of the season under the regime, he's been an absolute revelation, hasn't he? He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he, he makes, he's made an impact. It almost reminds me of um, of completely different players, but uh, Chuck Sanike back in League Two, it's just you think you know you've been wearing down the team all game, they're tiring, and then all of a sudden you bring on a six foot plus, uh, athletic, strong uh, player in in Heron Boateng, uh, who's got bags of skill. You know the amount of flicks he's done over defenders' heads and and holding defenders off. You know they couldn't get near him at times, and I think. That it, it, he he he's a player that can make an impact, and let's face it, we probably didn't see that in his first eighteen or first year or so when he was playing here. We saw glimpses, but we never saw it consistently. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, will he will he be getting a starting place? I don't know, but I think he's doing a great job how he's playing now. But who's to say we couldn't do better if he's starting? Um, but no, I'm. And he seems like just a nice guy. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier for him. So, fair play to the boat. Yeah, I suppose you've got to look at like, the formation, haven't you? If, if it's working, then why change it? Um, and I'm sure that'll be the reflection of Saturday in terms of going back to having the two strikers and then probably seeing Haram come off the bench. And if we need him, uh, score a goal, he'll probably score a goal. Um, so, yeah, they really so how, to... how many goals is he average per 90 then? Uh, well, he's got to play 90 minutes first. He's yeah, played 64 so far. Um, but three. no, yeah, three and two assists, right? So I'll take that. <laughs> Shape was on um, FBLV straight to the team. Um, right, that sums up our uh, Cheltenham review quite nicely. Um, we'll cut, we'll have a short, short little break and then we'll cut to my conversation with Andy from the peer forecast to give you a bit more of an in depth understanding of Pompey for our game ahead on Saturday. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. So after the score draw at Cheltenham, uh, attention quickly turns back to Sadie MK and the return to MK of Portsmouth. And we're delighted, as usual, to welcome on a guest in the PO forecast. And this time it's Andy. So, Andy, how are you doing? Hi, Liam. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. We've had a, a weekend without a game. So, as we were just saying, not recording. It's been nice to have a weekend without, you know, your mood decided by 11 to 15 people you have no control over. So, yeah, it's made a nice change. <laughs> yeah, so we were, we were the only, was it, three League One games this weekend? Um, so, that was a weird yeah. experience. But... Yeah, no, it's uh, it's nice to have a little break from it all, isn't it? And um, but hey, yeah, back on back on the horse, as they say, and uh, back into action away from home for yourselves. Um, obviously, we're in September now, so the August is finished and January transfer window is finished. So, 
how satisfied overall were you with Pompey's business? I know you brought in a fair few players, obviously it being the Cowley's first season in charge. Yeah, it's been a, a bit of turnover, to be honest, almost sort of Ipswich levels of, of turnover because quite a few players were coming out of contract. So particularly in sort of the midfield and defensive positions, we've lost a, a ridiculous number of players. So uh, Craig McGillivray has gone to Charlton, uh, Jack Watmore, who's our, one of our key centre-backs, gone to Wigan. Uh, Tom Naylor went to Wigan as well, our centre midfielder, club captain. Andy Cannon's gone to Hull. Ben Close went to Doncaster. Uh, Ryan Williams to Oxford. Callum Johnson's gone to Fleetwood. So there's been there's been a lot of exits, basically. But the players we've brought in, I'd, I'd say, for the most part, are upgrades, to be yeah. brutally honest, on some players that I did actually quite like. But um, yeah, so... In terms of players, and we brought in Gavin Bazunu, who's a goalkeeper from Man City, who people may have seen. He's the one that saved Ronaldo's penalty uh, yes, yeah. against Portugal. So that's got him going around. But he's had an incredible start to the season. I think he's been man of the match in sort of two or three of the five games for, for Pompey News now. Uh, Clark Robertson has come in at centre-back to sort of be a direct replacement almost for Jack Watmore. And again, he's got a good understanding very quickly with Sean Raggett. Centre midfield is completely new look because... As I said, we lost Naylor, Cannon and Close and we brought in a ridiculous number of centre midfielders. There was a point where we didn't really have any centre midfielders, but now we have uh, Sean Williams, Ryan Tunnicliffe, Joe Morrell, uh, Louis Thompson, who's Nathan Thompson's brother, and Miguel Aziz, who came in uh, just before deadline day on, on loan from Arsenal. So there's there's a, a lot of midfield central options and we brought in Gassan Hadmi as well from Norwich under-23s. So there's a lot of new faces around the club that we're sort of getting to grips with, which has led us to not really be sure if we're any good or not. So it's been quite an interesting start to the season. For for the first time in a while, we've not had a clue whether we should be expecting like third or fourth in the league or 13th or 14th. So it's been a bit of a learning curve early on. Yeah, I've got to say a few faces out there. Obviously, Aziz from Arsenal is meant to be quite a highly touted player coming in. Uh, I think it was quite lately when there, wasn't it? He came in. Um, and of course, Louis Thompson, uh, you know, very well known with the Dons fans, um, had two spells here, I believe. Um, and we all know what he's about. And of course, he had a pretty good display at Fratton Park whilst we were all behind closed doors. So yeah, obviously wishing well and hopefully he actually stays fit. Because I think if he does stay fit, you've got a pretty decent player there who can definitely work his way into that team. Uh, but when he's not fit, unfortunately, he's, you know, it's 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 frustrating because, you know, the talent he has. And um, yeah, it kind of goes to waste a little bit. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how many minutes he gets, to be honest. I wouldn't think he's going to be first choice on a regular basis, looking at the other players that the Cowleys have brought in and their performances so far. I'd, I'm not sure how many minutes he's really going to get until injuries and rotation starts being necessary a little bit later in the season. But, I mean, he's, he's there and I'm assuming just trying to prove himself behind the scenes in training to get that starting spot. But he's got some tough competition there, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely a, a prove-it contract, if you would say that, in terms of, you know, earning the trust of the Cowleys. And, you know, I said, if he can impress, you know, getting to that team and uh, hopefully fighting it towards the top end of the league. So, uh, heading into Saturday's game, of course, you mentioned about not sure where you're finishing just yet this season in terms of the squad. You're currently in the playoffs, of course, with 10 points in the opening five games. You know, before, when you looked at the start of the season, and did you see some previews, for example, uh, before a ball was kicked, would you have taken the 10 points that you've got so far? Would you be sort of craving for more considering the play, the teams you've actually played this season? I think most Pompey fans with, with, who are sane, I'd like to include myself in that if possible, would have absolutely snapped your hand off 
for 10 points from the first five games. The Wigan result is less than ideal. And I mean, if you look at the expected goals from it, Freddie from the PO forecast pulled them out. And I think it was 0.25 for Wigan and 0.6 for Pompey or something wow. along those lines. And it ended up being a 1-0 win for Wigan. So frustrating not to get a point out of that at least. But yeah, 10 from five games. I mean, at, at three o'clock on the first day of the season, we had one fit centre midfielder over the age of 17 in the squad. And the second one had just pulled up He'd sort of done his back in the warm-up, which turned out to be, thankfully, not too serious. But at that point, you know, we were throwing a left-back. Actually, I've forgotten to ma- uh, mention Ogilvy, actually, who's coming as left-back as well. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, we threw him into centre midfield on the first day of the season, a position he has never played in his professional career before. And everyone was thinking, right, OK, square peg, round hole, day one <laughs> of the season. It's not a brilliant start. But yeah, at that point, we'd absolutely snap your hand off for 10 points from the first five games. The performances have generally been pretty good. But as you kind of alluded to there, on paper, the teams we've played against are teams that you would potentially expect to struggle a bit more. And I think September, October are the months when Pompey are really going to be, you know, they're going, it's going to sort the wheat from the chaff almost because we've got you guys away from home. But we've also got Charlton coming up, Burton at the end of September, Sunderland at the start of October in a fairly short space of time. And then um, Ipswich as well later in October. So by the end of October, I think we'll know where we stand. So far, yeah, yeah it's the, the performances have been half decent, and I think it would be insane with such a, a turnover of players and the gelling. You know, we see at Ipswich how teams cannot gel. If I see that word thrown around anymore on Twitter from you know in their their <laughs> replies, I'll go crazy. But we we can see how difficult it can be for a team to gel, and considering that we're going through a similar process. Yeah, 10 from five points is a pretty good uh, pretty good collection, I think, under the circumstances. Yeah, it's been a complete contrast. And I remember we had a pretty difficult start, I'd like to think. I mean, our easiest game's probably been Accrington at home. And not because of where they were on the table and how they play as a team, but I feel just the way we actually dealt with it was probably the best we've dealt with our whole performance all year. You know, going to Bolton and out of Gaffer and getting a point somehow. Of course, Cheltenham on Saturday, which we didn't have our first three choice strikers are playing Charlie Brown up front, who's still a kid, bear in mind, and to get a point from that. Um, so, yeah, I think this game could be quite telling for both sides, actually, in terms of how far they're both come along in the various regimes and, you know, if they're actually going to be up for it this season because they're both in that area where, you know, one result could push them up to second or down to, as you said, like 13, 14. So, yeah, it could be quite an interesting game for sure. I think so. I mean, how um how bare to the bones are you up front? Is it Mo Isa that's out injured who would normally be starting in that position for you guys? Yeah, so typically we play over two up front. So it's, well, to start here, it's been Isa and Parrot for the majority of the time. Uh, Mo Isa picked up a groin injury against Accrington um, and he's said to have been out, well, for at least a few weeks. So that would likely rule him out for the Pompey game. Uh, Troy Parrot's in national duty with the Irish team. He played the other day. So he'll be back for the Pompey match. Um, his fitness will be interesting to see where he's like, if he can actually play 90 minutes. But I'd imagine if he's fit, he'll start. Um, and then, yes, yeah, Max Watters has just come back from injury. He's just got back onto the grass. So I don't think he'll be fit to start. So then, yeah, you're looking at either sticking with the one striker formation, which we did against Cheltenham, or bringing in, or sticking with Charlie, uh, Charlie Brown up front and put him up front, maybe Troy Parrott, or bringing in Jay Bird, who... I think us three on the podcast are a big fan of, and he's had a good preseason. He scored against Burton in the Papa John's Trophy, and I, f- I think he deserves minutes. And we were quite surprised to not see him on Saturday. So we, we have a lot of strikers, but unfortunately, um, some of the more 
more developed and maybe better options uh, aren't fit right now. But yeah, we're kind of going into it a bit blind at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. That makes it even more difficult for us to prepare for then. If, if you don't know what you're doing, then what chance have the Cowley's got to figure it out? Yeah, I guess so. But I, I suppose at the same time for us, it's like if we're missing some of our better players, then um, if we saw a Cheltenham, it took us a good half an hour to actually get into the game, really. And the chance that we did had, unfortunately, if, if an Isa or a Waters or Power was up front, we probably would have won that game. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's, it's beneficial in some areas, but it's also a massive weakness. Uh, it never is. So, yeah, I'm, looking, I'm hoping to hear positive news this week regarding the strikers for sure. I'll hope to hear the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, so a brilliant addition to this season I found is opt-analysts are making all of their League 1 and League 2 data basically free to access. So it gives you a really good insight into teams and how this perhaps play what we've not had before. And what I found really interesting from Pompey, first of all, was that they seem to turn over the ball a lot. And I think it's top two in the league in terms of the turnovers and also with the turnovers, it led to shots quite often. So from your perspective from watching them every week, has that been in pretty dangerous areas of the pitch or has that just been from the high press and literally just, you know, not catalyzing on certain situations? Yeah, it's certainly been very obvious watching from the stands, even in pre-season. And to be honest, when the Cowleys first came in at the end of last season, you could see that that, that the high press was really more choreographed and it was leading to us winning possession back in positions that that led to chances. So it was really obvious in, in pre-season, I think it was the game against Peterborough, where they played a fairly strong lineup and they just completely panicked under the Cowley's high press and made so many mistakes across the back line. And that's continued in a, in a number of our games this season. The most notable one was crew who, I mean, they're, they're a bit of a mess at the moment off the field as much as well as on the field, but they, I, I've not really ever seen a team lose possession so much in their own first third of the pitch as crew did because they just couldn't deal with the choreographed press that Pompey were executing. So yeah, in terms of turning the ball over, it's, it's not just that they're turning over the ball a lot. It's the fact that they're doing it in places where they can then punish or at least create chances within the space of a few seconds. Because if if the opposition are losing the ball in a dangerous area, they're by definition, you know, they're not, they haven't got someone there to cover where they've lost the ball because they're supposedly playing it out from the back. You know, you've not got two right backs or two left backs to cover each other. So a lot of the time that those possession turnovers leading to chances within three or four seconds of, the change in possession of winning the ball back. Last couple of games, we've been a lot less than clinical in terms of actually converting those chances. But that high press is probably our greatest strength. And again, comparing it to what it was like under Kenny Jacket would be under Kenny Jacket, you did have, you know, attempting to close down opposition. Let's take the keeper as an example. But more often than not, it would be John Marquis doing about 15K a game, just sprinting and closing down by himself. And, you know, League One level, there's an easy out ball for the keeper everywhere. They're not rubbish on the ball. Whereas now it's pretty choreographed and you can see that the players know when or which two of them are meant to be executing that high press or the close down at any one time. And other players or hanging back and cutting off the easy out ball. And it just looks a lot more rehearsed and a lot more trained, which is why it's creating more chances. So I'm not sure how you guys would normally stand up to the high press, uh, but 
it is quite a, it's probably the strongest tool in our arsenal at the moment in terms of attacking, just forcing mistakes and then trying to punish them quickly. But uh, yeah, what, what are your backline like against well, pressure basically when they're on the ball? We had a bit of we had a bit of it on Sheldon on Saturday, to be fair, because well, we look at the PPDA, which is basically the pressing uh, metric. They did they, they, they set back quite a lot, and we we did see that on Saturday. But there were times where it was like it was like um, funneled pressing. So, for example, when Alfie May was up top, he'd say when Warren O'Hara got the ball on the right hand side of the defence, we'd see Alfie May run it in really quickly, then just drop back a bit. So I think it was certain key areas where uh, um, Cheltenham were trying to. You know, puts under pressure and force mistakes. I think the big difference between last season and the Russ Martin and this season, Liam Manning, is that we will get rid of it when we need to. I feel with Russ Martin, it was very you know you've you've got to stick to this way of playing regardless of what happens, and you know you know how that went in terms of chances given away and goals conceded. But I think this season the long ball has been very much more encouraged, and it seems to be um, any player can do it. You know, one game it's Andrew Fisher in goal, the next game it's Dean Lewington on the left-hand side of the defence, and then the other game it's Harry Darling. So, yeah, high pressure is definitely a thing that we're going to come up against a lot this season. And, and as you mentioned, it'll definitely be the case on Saturday. But I feel this season, um, when the pressure gets a bit too much, it's the case of getting out of the kitchen rather than trying to stay into the kitchen and spin five plates and deal with it that way, uh, which is a nice change and it's a refreshing one, to say the least. Yeah, okay, that's interesting to know. Um, I think it, it's been interesting to watch different teams' responses to it because some have just tried to, you know, play the ball out and keep possession and just play through the high press, which is obviously high risk, high reward. And other teams have, again, just gone for the panic and lump out approach, which normally ends with Pompey regaining possession. So it's been pretty effective so far. So I think potentially that's where the, the game is going to be won or lost, I think, on Saturday is how you deal with that and how many chances you concede as a result of it and how well Pompey executed it, I guess. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of hoping Jay Bird may get a start because he's a bit more physical than Charlie Brown at top. So if we are having to lump up to, say, the on-runners of Twine and O'Reilly or Jay Bird at top, hopefully, you know, he could be that physical presence at top that could lead to more chances. Whereas, you know, Charlie Brown, again, he likes to counter-press himself. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping either um, Troy... Uh, or Max Waters are available, or if not, then Jay Bird can come in and uh, you know, give us that physical presence up top. So um, Ryan Turnercliffe's been a bit of a clear standout for me in terms of how he's played for Pompey this season. You know, four goal contributions in five games so far in the league. Um, I suppose the main question for me to you, Andy, is has it been a one-man show or has there been other players that have stepped up alongside Turnercliffe that have really stood out to you? I wouldn't say it's been a one-man show. I think... Tunnicliffe and Williams coming together had, I mean, maybe, yeah, Tunnicliffe has probably got the plaudits for the sort of the stats for the assists and the goal, but the two of them have struck up a, a partnership extremely quickly. I mean, again, I'll go, go back to that crew game, which is the first time I saw them together live, I think. And I've not seen a central midfield partnership dominate more. I, I've been to Fratton for a lot of years now, unfortunately, I'm getting quite old, but I, I genuinely couldn't tell you the last time I saw a, a team at Fratton Park dominate midfield that much. I mean, Tunnicliffe gets the plaudits for it because he seems to be the one churning out the assists. But it's not really been a one-man show. I think, yeah, Sean Williams deserves a lot of credit. But then, as I mentioned at the start, looking at the back, Sean Raggett, Clark Robertson and Gavin Bazunu 
and to be fair, Lee Brown and Kieran Freeman, actually all five of them have kind of stolen the show at different times. I mean, Freeman was the best player on the pitch for the first, for me anyway, for the first 50-ish minutes, 55 minutes against Shrewsbury. Lee Brown's been pretty consistent all season at left back. So Freeman's our right back, Lee Brown at left back. I think I forgot to mention Freeman earlier. He's another player that we brought in over summer. There's just been so many. Um, and then Clark Robertson and Raggett. Raggett. So Raggett is one of those players. He's very much a confidence player where he'll have runs of just being completely solid and outstanding form. And then he'll traditionally give away single-handedly sort of three goals in four games or something along those lines. So he very, very sort of form in and out player. But he's been fantastic this season. In the first two games of the the season I think he prevented two goals single-handedly sort of on the line clearances kind of thing and yeah Clark Robertson's been excellent as well and Clark Robertson from memory I'm thinking is left-footed and it gives us a different angle of attack playing out from the centre-back positions when you've got a right foot left foot combination there and that's been really noticeable a couple of times as well so yeah I don't think it's been a one-man show there have been players who have probably noticeably struggled a little bit um, in terms of sort of not quite lifting their level to the other players in the team. So um, Gasana Hadmi hasn't really lit up the the, the, uh, the side yet. He scored something like, I think it was eight in four or eight in five in pre-season and everyone got a little bit excited and he's struggled to fire in the league so far, but he's 20, so it's going to take time. There's very little pressure on him for most of us, I don't think. And Rico Hackett-Fairchild has struggled a little bit in the league as well, whether he's playing at 10 or he's been put out on the wing at times as well. Um, he struggled to make a bit of an impression. George Hurst has come in from, I want to say, Leicester under-23s or Leicester City. It's, it's either their senior or the under-23s side. Again, struggled to make an impression so far. So it's not quite a sort of a whole team performance. We're struggling to put together games where everyone clicks. And Ronan Curtis is kind of what a lot of our attacks revolve around. He's, his, his finishing hasn't quite clicked yet. He's getting into positions and he's looking dangerous, but again, not quite clicked. So we've been heavily reliant on Tunnicliffe and Williams to keep essentially putting chances on a plate and Robertson and Rackett and Bazunu at the back to sort of shore things up and keep things solid at the back, which they have. I mean, yeah, Bazunu and Robertson and Rackett have probably been alongside Tunnicliffe for me, the best players in the season so far. And they've, you know, we didn't concede any goals in the league until the fifth game of the season for that exact reason. And Bazunu's made a couple of absolute worldy saves. So, yeah, not a one-man band per se, but very much most games it's been four or five players who have maybe not carried the rest of the team, but have stood out and compensated for other players looking a bit lower on confidence, like Curtis and Harness haven't really fired yet as much as they can. Marquis is very on and off. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of others struggling to make the impression they'd have hoped to, but the pressure's fairly low, I think, to be honest with you, uh, this season on a lot of the new players who have come in. As I've mentioned, we don't really know how good we are. The Cowleys have completely won over the entire sort of um, Portsmouth fan base in terms of, you know, Danny's going to watch youth teams play and sort of the under-11 girls teams play and getting photos, coming back out after the game and doing photos with the young kids who sit near the, sit near the, the dugouts. And, I mean... The guy came on the PA forecast within about two and a half weeks of joining the club, whereas we'd been trying to get a jacket on for quite a long time and he didn't he never quite got over the line. But yeah, one of the first things Danny Cowley did was go on a couple of the fan podcasts. He's just won people over. So there's very little pressure, I don't think, 
um, mostly because he's just such a nice bloke. <laughs> it makes it very difficult to get annoyed when you lose. But um, yeah, I, it has been a case of a number of the players carrying a number of the other players maybe, but at the same time, expectations are fairly neutral this season or fairly, yeah, fairly mo um, modified this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how that changes if we actually end up around about the playoffs with maybe 10, 12 games to go, sort of similar to where we were last season, but hopefully on a different trajectory this year to see if that's changed. But at the moment, we're pretty chilled and anything we can, you know, every three points we pick up is a bit of a bonus. Yeah, it's interesting. The players you mentioned in terms of the ones standing out come across as very much, well, the majority of them anyway, as spine of the team. And that's typically quite a good sign because obviously the spine of your team is really what keeps it together. So yeah, the fact that you've mentioned, you know, the goal lead, centre-backs and midfielders, of course, Marquise, once he gets firing, you know, we all know what he can do in this league. So yeah, I'll say that's very promising in terms of the players that you think are standing out to you in terms of the Pompey side straight away. Um, I suppose one question before we go on to lineup score predictions is um, obviously Andy Cullen came from the Dons to Pompey this summer. And a lot of people, you know, Andy Cullen's a very nice place at the club for, I think it's over a decade at one point. Um, I suppose everyone's quite keen on how he's getting on. So obviously it's, it's a very short time period since he joined, but how is he getting on? Yeah, I think he's coming at a bit of a tough time, to be honest. Um, in terms of my perceptions of him and how he's coming across to fans as a, as a person, I'd say pretty positive in that, I mean, first home game of the season with fans back in, I wandered in towards my seat in the Fratton end and he's just stood at the bottom of the stairs to the Fratton end, chatting to fans, completely fronting up, answering questions, meeting half-cut punters who were probably asking a lot of questions that weren't particularly fun to answer. But he came out and showed his face which I think, you know, respect where it's due. It's very, it would be very easy for him to send a minion out to go and do that instead, but he's completely taken the responsibility. There have been other aspects of, of things at the club potentially that have been a challenge for him. There's the, the ticketing system has been a complete, I don't know if you swear on your podcast, I'll say it's been a mess and we'll save you bleeping out if you don't swear too much, I don't know. But um, it's been a bit of a mess in terms of renewing season tickets and, there were sort of three games at the start of the season where it was uh, buy your individual ticket that your season ticket didn't cover, but then the checkout system didn't work. And I think it was a ticket master problem as much as anything, but nothing worked and no one could order their tickets. And then people started arguing about it. And then there have been sort of not enough people um, manning different kiosks in the, in the stadium. And sort of their response has been, you know, we weren't expecting to have full capacity immediately we were expecting to sort of incrementally increase it so i mean i think danny cowley said that andy cullen's family have been in helping clean things sort of in the days running up to the first game of the season it's all literally all hands to the pumps and so he gets credit for that but at the same time the club and this isn't just him the club have had you know 18 months to prepare for the return of fans and you would have thought that they would have prepared for a number of different scenarios as well as incremental you'd have thought they you know without wanting to get political it's very difficult to second guess what the current uk government is going to do at any moment in time and it's not always logical so you you know you think they'd prefer uh, they'd prepare for a number of contingencies there but it doesn't seem like they really were prepared for the sudden descending of however many thousand pompey fans but overall i think fairly positive he's he's very well spoken 
he knows what he's doing again similar to Danny Cowley when he when he talks to the camera he knows the right things to say doesn't he to to make most fans go oh yeah he, what a nice bloke he cares about the fan base and I'm sure he does but he knows how to make that come across but yeah he's, he seems to have said a lot of sort of given a lot of apologies for the ticket issues uh, which potentially aren't even completely his fault there are a few things I think he's inherited from previous uh, regimes. It? Previous regimes, yeah. I mean, and I like Mike Catlin a lot. Again, thoroughly nice bloke. But I think there were a couple of things that Andy Cullen has come in and he's having to fix while still fairly new in the job. So I think he's had a fairly tough time of it. But there's there's generally quite a understanding response from most of the Pompey fans with the exception of the ticket fiasco, which has just been a complete embarrassment, I think, for the club, to be honest with you. Yeah, if I've seen one common theme from returning back to football with fans in the past couple of months, it's been everyone's ticketing system. It's absolutely got awful. Um, it's the same here. Like I think well, my, mostly because we've had not many staff in the box office until last week, I think, when they recruited two other people in there. But we've tried to convert to a digital ticketing system for like the women's Euros, which are coming up next year. And it's been an absolute shambles. Uh, I don't know what's happened. Um, and I said it's going to take a few months to actually recover properly but yeah people say got season tickets it's just it's just not very good yeah um, exactly that it's yeah so hopefully it's all out as soon as possible but yeah, you're not on your own in terms of ticketing issues don't you worry yeah I, it's it's just a it's frustrating it's embarrassing to other clubs in the league i mean cambridge united tweeted out the other day that they're, they're having to delay sorting their tickets out for the game at Pompey because they you know can't get hold of people at Portsmouth ticket office and the Pompey ticket office aren't responding. And it's like, it's just not a good look to be given out really. And I understand that it's, it's very unique times and all of those cliches that everyone's been rolling out for the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a sort of a, a standard you expect to keep. And as a, you know, as a very successful businessman, Andy Cullen is not going to be as much as he's smiling to the camera, he's not going to be smiling behind the scenes at things like this because it's publicly a really bad look for the club and for him as a CEO and for Pompey as a business. It's a really poor look. And, you know, you've got Pompey fans queuing down the street to try and get to the ticket office for hours. And then you've got, you know, disabled fans in that queue being turned away because they're shutting the ticket office before these people are going to get to the front of the queue and people aren't answering the phones and the internet is sort of the website isn't working and, there's been times where it's just felt really quite amateur, to be honest. And, you know, when things started going wrong with the ticket, ticketing operation, I'm sure your MK fans really don't give a toss about the Portsmouth ticketing operation. <laughs> but when when things started going wrong there, the club were like, no, no, it is working. You just, you can't check out with these things in your basket. It, and sort of said, it's all you guys doing it wrong. And all the fans went, no, 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 it, it doesn't work. Please believe us. It doesn't work. And the Pompey just went, no, it does work. You're just doing it wrong. And it, ah. Uh, yeah, it I'm, was sure, um, I'm sure a lot of Don fans can relate to the honesty yeah. issues. It's, I suppose it's more it's been more personnel for us, which hopefully is now sorted. But yeah, it's just been a complete mess. Um, yeah. it's, it's been nice to go back to football, but at the same time, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a chaos, to be honest, for everyone Absolutely. involved. Right, let's, t- let's bring it back to the pitch, because I've just ranted yes. about admin for like five minutes, and you're going to be losing listening. <laughs> yeah, let's get on to um, your predicted lineup for Pompey-wise anyway. Um, how do you think your lineup Saturday against the Dons? It's quite an interesting one at the moment. You you mentioned about not being entirely sure who's going to be available or how you're going to line up dependent on that. Pompey is similar in that, I mean, we'll definitely be playing, I'm fairly certain we'll be playing four at the back. 
But other than that, it could be a 4-2-3-1. It could be a 4-3-3, which is what we played against Wigan, albeit unsuccessfully. Or it could be a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1. So if you wanted definite information of how we're going to line up, you, you're playing against the wrong club. So <laughs> as I've mentioned, we've got sort of a, a real flux of or a real range of centre midfielders available. So playing 4-3-3 kind of works from that respect. So against Wigan, we started Tunnicliffe, Williams and Morell. Um, who signed as well during the summer, Welsh international. And the three of them linked up fairly well, I think, in that game. I Again, they, it, it, we shouldn't have lost the game, basically. It probably should have been a nil-nil draw. Um, it wasn't spectacular, but it was fairly solid. And you could see that they were starting to link up nicely with each other and starting to learn how to play with each other. So a 4-3-3 would make sense from that respect, with Curtis, Marquis and Harness sort of leading, leading the line. But... Curtis, Marquis and Harness are all slightly out of out of form. So that makes goal scoring slightly difficult. I prefer Pompey playing a 4-4-2 formation with Marquis and Harness up top, which we did for a few weeks under Kenny Jacket because of injuries, maybe just under 12 months ago now. And it worked extremely well. And it's been a bit of a frustration for me that we've moved away from that with players coming back from injury. But if... If Cowley plays the same way as he did last weekend against Wigan, it'll be a 4-3-3. But I wouldn't be overly surprised if it ends up being a 4-2-3-1 or kind of a 4-4-1-1. So basically, you've got three formations that we won't know what it is until the lineup comes out. And even then, the problem with the 4-4-1-1 or the 4-2-3-1 is we've struggled to get anyone playing really well in that number 10 role behind Marquis. So at Doncaster, he had Coppinger and the two of them just worked like an absolute dream and scored buckets as a result. And we've kind of, for the last few years, we've struggled to find a number 10 who plays well in that role. And potentially that is where we could be using Miguel Aziz, possibly. It's where Gasana Hadmi can play, but hasn't really set the world alight yet. Rika Hackett-Fairchild can play there. Marcus Harness can and has played there a little bit this season. Him and Hackett Fairchild have sort of, and Curtis, to be fair, have sort of inter- uh, interchanged a little bit during games, but nothing's really clicked. So that's why I would prefer to see a 4 4 2 because it doesn't rely on that 10 roll as much. Um, but yeah, at the moment, your guess is as good as mine. If he sticks with the last weekend, it'll be a 4 3 3. I think um, I think the 4 4 2 would probably work best against as well, to be honest, because. I think having, well, not want to wish this on anyone really for, for Don's perspective, but having the two strikers operated against the back three could work quite well. And then, of course, you're, um, out, you're matching the midfield in terms of the 4v4 in terms of well, the pers- personnel-wise anyway. So that would make sense in my head. But, you know, it's Danny Cowley, so I'm sure he makes it up again. He'll probably go over three back at this rate. So. Yeah, he's inventive and he never gives anything away really in interviews. You can't trust anything he says about tactics or whether players are coming back from injury and he's said that himself and he'll always tell the truth except when it's about match prep and then he's probably going to lie through his teeth so yeah I don't necessarily believe a word I hear the only other thing that might affect it is uh, we had two players who tested positive for COVID-19 they've not released which players uh, it was but they'll be back available by the time we play against you but okay. they won't have had that many days of training so I don't know if they'll get put straight back into the eleven. But we've not been told which players it is. It's not Joe Morell or Gavin Bazunu because they were around the international squads. But other than that, we don't know which players tested positive. But that could potentially affect the lineup, which would affect the formation we play, I think. Um, 
But finally, score prediction. Obviously, the Dons are one of the highest scorers in the league. Can't remember if they're highest anymore. AC Wimbledon got three at the weekend. They've been pretty free scoring. Um, but of course, Pompey won a senior defence in the league. So it's a nice little contrast there. So um, from Pompey's perspective, how do you see the score going on Saturday? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I, I was looking at the table just before we started recording and looking at the goals scored, and we've scored four and five, and you've scored 11 and six. So it's very different approaches. But then you've conceded nine, we've conceded one. So it's very very sort of much a clash of different styles I think I would back Pompey to be fairly tight at the back looking at the back line if if they can continue not making individual mistakes which they have done so far I think we're going to be quite hard to break down my bigger worry is us goal scoring because Harness and Marquis and Curtis have been pretty out of form I'm I think a draw would be a good result and I don't know how many Pompey fans would agree with that but in all reality I think a draw would be a, a half decent result for us and potentially for you I think I don't know if, if I offered you a point at the start of the afternoon before the game was played would you take it or are you pushing uh, for three? if I if I knew that Isa was out then probably yeah it's hard to know with Troy Parrott we haven't seen him at front on his own yet mm. so Saturday could be the first opportunity to see that or we could go over two strikers um but yeah, I think um, if you're offering me a point, I would probably take it. We do need to start winning games at some point, but you know, a, a point <laughs> against one of the more you know, defensively sound teams in the league, I don't think yeah. it's a bad thing at all. Well, I think from our end, they say win at home, draw away, don't they? And I think a, a, a point away at MK Dons in League One is actually a pretty pretty good result for, for most clubs. And at this point, with the team sort of still gelling together, I'd put us in that bracket. So yeah, I'll go with a one-all draw, I think. Okie dokie. Well, Andy, thank you very much for taking the time of Sunday evening uh, to record this with me. No worries um, at all. Of course, I'll be jumping on your podcast, the PO Forecast, later on in the week. Uh, imagine we releasing the same day, actually, uh, to talk from Don's perspective about Pompey. So make sure to check that out uh, after you check this out. And uh, yeah, thank you once again. No worries, Liam. Always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Yeah, see you then. Okay, gents, it's time for our fan hub lineup and score predictions. As always, you do weekly Don's lineups on fan hub. Um, we do them every week and you know, we're doing really well. And we've pretty much, apart from last week, where we changed formation, we were pretty much at 11 out of 11. So we're doing really well. And yeah, looking forward to getting back on track with that. So, uh, Ross, what's your lineup looking like Saturday against Pompey? Yeah, so in goal, I've gone with um, Andy Fisher. And then I've gone with the usual back three in O'Hora. Darling and Louis. And then I've gone with Dan Harvey and then I've stuck with Kyoso. I do believe um, he he warrants another start this weekend. And then I've dropped Josh McEachran out of the midfield um, only because of I, I prefer to up top, especially against his Port, Portsmouth side. So I've gone with um, Ethan Robson and Matt O'Reilly in that midfield, which worked really well against Ipswich. So I'd like to see more of that. And then I've gone with Twiney in the um, in the ten as such, and then um, I've gone with Parrot and Bird up top. Again, uh, nothing on Brown. I just feel Bird needs his opportunity, and I'm hoping he takes it. Okay, it's interesting choices there. Um, so I'll go up next. So uh, yeah, same goalie, same back three, same uh, midfield really, with uh, Robson and O'Reilly sitting back deep. Uh, 20 in the 10. Um, the only real change I've got is I've gone with Charlie Brown. I've stuck with Charlie Brown up front. 
uh, as opposed to Jay Bird. Um, as I mentioned in previous episode, I just feel Parrot and Bird are a bit too similar in terms of their physique and their actual style of play. I think we need some player who can actually finish the ball. I suppose Parrot can do that. He's shown it on many occasions this season, but I feel not only does Charlie Brown deserve a second chance at top, but I think he needs it, quite frankly. And I think this is the perfect opportunity with Isa probably out. Um, I mean, that's not confirmed, but based on the comments from Manning the past couple of weeks, it seems pretty likely that he's going to miss this game, which is fortunate for Pompey. Um, yeah, Charlie Brown, get him out front with Troy, see what he can do. And if he, if he again, you know, has a, a disappointing performance, then I think it's fair to say that, you know, there's missed opportunity, unfortunately, which would be, which would be a shame. Uh, so, Joe, obviously, two different striker former well, set of strikers from myself and Ross. Um, are you making it three out of three, or have you gone with one of ours? I've gone with yours, Liam. I'm agreeing <laughs> with you. Um, so, yeah, just, just to go through it again, fishing goal, the same back line, um, unchanged from Saturday. And I've uh, dropped McEachran. Well, not dropped McEachran. I've brought Troy Parrott back in. And McEachran's the one giving way. Like you say, I think the Troy Parrott, I think, it, you know, it, it almost is a little bit of a box when Troy Parrott plays because he does go a little bit deeper. He does do more of the defensive side of things. But I think one thing with Troy Parrott and and one thing we saw with Charlie Brown was at times he was kind of isolated. And I think having, you know, Troy up with him is really going to help. And we've seen at the... I think um, Troy's at, Troy Parrott's assisted Moisa for a goal already this season. So we've seen and we've seen that they can work together. And those having two strikers together, I think it helps with the ball retention. And also, I think it gives Scott Twine a bit more of a free role in the midfield. So obviously, he's got his defensive work, but he's able to roam around a bit more. Um, so and 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 like say Charlie Brown, he's it's almost he's almost plays like Moisa quite similar. He's, kind of on the he's looking to run in behind but he's also he's a guy that can just take that one touch and shoot like he did against Burton and it it causes problems for defenders so he's not afraid to get shots off which I think is a really good characteristic okay so yeah all, all fairly similar by a one striker change up top um, but yes I'm sure one of us will get 11 out of 11 this week or at least I hope we will anyway um Finally, on to our score predictions. Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Dons win. Um, I think it's to be quite a cagey game, unfortunately. Not very entertaining. Um, as you heard from Andy and ourselves briefly, you know, Portsmouth are quite a, a team who defend well and also press really high. So they're looking to try and force states with us. But attacking-wise, they're not the best at the moment. So it, I think we've, we've got the best setup in terms of how well we're attacking right now. And I think defensively, we can hold them off just about. So I think uh, hopefully a Charlie Brown winner will uh, see us get the three points at home this weekend. Uh, so, Joe, have you got us winning as well? I've gone for a one-all draw. I think they're strong. I think, you know, with someone like Tony Cliff in their midfield, uh, also Louis Thompson, uh, who uh, a favourite of mine from last season. Um, I think, you know, they've got the ability to be able to control that midfield. So I think it's really important that Robson and O'Reilly have a good game. But like you say, if they're going to, you know, if we are pressing high and we can win it up high and we've done it, we did it against Ipswich, we did it against Bolton. We get, if we can get these high turnovers, then I think that there's going to be joy for us to have. But at the same time, if we're not good enough with our distribution, we're going to have the same problem at the other end. Um, 
So I think, you know, I think we'll score. I think, you know, we're, we're a good team and we're creating a lot of chances. I can't see that changing, but it's just whether or not we can hold back the quality that they've got at the other end. Okay, two different scorelines, two different results. Ross, are you going to make us three out of three or are you being a little positive? I'm going to be positive as usual. I've gone with a 1-0 Don's victory, but you can't rule out this Pompey side. That front three, Marquis, um, I believe it's Curtis and Harness, um, it, at, at League One level especially, can hurt any team in the league. And I do believe um, we, we will have to be very, very sharp on Saturday and I know um, it's not often a lot of teams come to Stadium MK and batter us um, so I do feel like this is going to be a close one so I've gone with a 1-0 Dons victory um, and hope, hopefully Parrot can uh, grab the three points Yeah, fingers crossed it's going to be a brilliant win really and I think that probably gets into the playoffs actually so that'd be nice um, albeit with the extra game played but it's the points that matters rather than the games in hand, as they always say. A bit early to look at the table, Lee. Ah, well, <laughs> everyone looks, everyone looks, don't lie. Even the players do. Come on. Now. <laughs> oh, <well>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, on that note, um, that brings the end of the latest episode of the MK1 podcast. Thank you always for listening once again. And come on, you dons. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.